The international community is allowing China to specifically in this instance whitewash the ongoing genocide and crimes against humanity committed uh, against the Uyghur and other uh, Turkic Muslims. Countries where we believe that crimes against humanity, genocide and other crimes may occurring simply cannot be allowed to host a games that is supposed to be a moment where there should be world peace and people coming together to show solidarity and uh, sportsmanship. Hello and welcome to the USERF Spotlight podcast, a weekly podcast series by the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, where we take a deep dive into religious freedom conditions around the world, breaking the situation down for you. Each week, we focus on a different country, region, or topic. Not only do we analyze and explain the religious freedom situation to our listeners, but we also make policy recommendations to the United States government in order to address the immense challenges we bring to light here. Now here is the host of our show, USERF Director of Outreach and Policy, Dwight Bashir, to lead today's discussion. Welcome to USERF Spotlight. In December, the Biden administration announced a diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Winter Olympics, due in large part to the Chinese government's ongoing genocide and crimes against humanity against Uyghur Muslims in Xinjiang. Basically, that means that no official U.S. government delegation is attending the Olympic Games that are in progress right now. But of course, U.S. athletes are competing as scheduled. Yusuf made this recommendation in 2020 and 2021, and we very much welcome its implementation. Amid the outcry of China's human rights abuses, several Western governments joined the United States in diplomatically boycotting the Beijing Olympics, including countries like Canada, the UK, Australia, Denmark, Belgium, Estonia, and Kosovo, to name a few. And the Olympics have also sparked intense protests during the past year. In addition to the persecution of Uyghurs, human rights groups have called attention to the Chinese government's uh, repression in Tibet, uh, its crackdown of freedoms in Hong Kong, and other human rights concerns uh, as reasons to boycott uh, the Beijing Olympics. Now, to go deeper on these issues today, we're fortunate to have with us uh, USERF Vice Chair in Nuri Turkel and Naomi Kikoler, Director of the Simon Scott Center for the Prevention of Genocide at the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. A very warm welcome to both of you. Thank you very much for having us on. Thank you so much. All right. Well, let me start with a question for both of you. Uh, despite intense international criticism over China's human rights and religious freedom record and the recent spike in COVID-19 cases that led the Chinese government to impose a strict lockdown measures, the government decided to go ahead uh, with the uh, Winter Olympic Games. Uh, Beijing is now the first city in the world to host both the Summer Olympics in 2008 and now the Winter Olympics. Can you both share with our audience uh, your take on what the Chinese government is trying to accomplish with these Olympics and what what kind of impact do you think uh, the diplomatic boycott has had? Why don't we start with uh, Vice Chair Turkel? Thank you very much. Um, the the Chinese government's uh, goal uh, having this kind of uh, a global event uh, in Beijing, uh, starting from uh, 2008, to normalize its uh, its behavior, uh, project a positive image, and also using its economic influence through business community to buy out silence. Uh, the International Olympic Committee uh, does not appear to le- learn the lesson, uh, historical lessons. Uh, it's allowing China to repeat uh, the mistakes of 1936, uh, the, uh, the Nazi Germany Olympic. 
And also the international community is allowing China to specifically in this instance, whitewash the ongoing genocide and crimes against humanity committed uh, against the Uyghur and other uh, Turkic Muslims in, uh, in communist China. So, so the, the, the Chinese government cares so much about how it's portrayed, how it's perceived in international community. And this uh, genocide Olympic is particularly helpful for them to achieve that goal. But to that disadvantage, uh, that goal apparently did not realize or that, uh, that, that, that objective did not really serve the interest, uh, whether it be the viewership on NBC, whether it be the ongoing public condemnation, uh, pressure on governments uh, that did not join the uh, diplomatic boycott effort. Uh, as you may recall, uh, we initially called out for a relocation of this game. Uh, if relocation is not possible, at least postponement, as the case of the Tokyo Olympics uh, last summer, is something who would have given the Chinese authorities a, a face-saving opportunity. And also now we see this game is a mistake on another front, which is the pressure that athletes have been um, put on. Uh, by the CCP, uh, that includes they should stay away from political discussion, criticism. They also subject themselves to uh, surveillance. The FBI uh, issued alert that the athletes should not bring their devices to China. So um, I can easily say I told you so, but it's not helpful. But this has been a mistake uh, in diplomatic front, economic front, uh, societal uh, responsibility. So um, I, I hope uh, the international community look at the IOC's history that appeared to have this uh, disturbing affinity to genocidal uh, dictatorial regime uh, starting from 1936. Uh, we should not forget that uh, after the uh, 1936 Olympic, Hitler invaded the rest of Europe. Uh, after 2008 Summer Olympics, or during that time, uh, Putin invaded Georgia. Uh, after the Sochi Games in 2012, Putin invaded Ukraine. Uh, Crimea. And now who, who will know uh, what will happen after the uh, genocide Olympics in Beijing? And, and I don't like to hear people say that Putin or Xi Jinping would not do ABCD. We've seen them uh, doing the things that people think that, would, that they would not do. Thank you for that. Uh, Naomi, what's your take on yeah, thanks, Troy. You know, I, everything that Nuri says resonates um, so much with, with our thinking and our concerns as well. We know that perpetrators go to uh, extreme lengths to cover the reality of their crimes. We see that time and again. And China really has excelled in this regard um, by denying all access to, to Xinjiang for independent monitors, um, access to areas where Uyghurs are being held. And the tragedy of the games right now is that unfortunately the international community is de facto through the decisions of the IOC, furthering the Chinese government's efforts to try to really uh, deny the reality of the, the nature of the horrific crimes that are occurring. And as, as Nuri said, we've seen this before, and we've seen this before with the Olympics. In 1936, when Berlin, uh, when the Nazis held the Olympics in Berlin, that was one year after they had passed the Nuremberg Laws which effectively began to entrench systematic discrimination and persecution of Jews, uh, rendering them essentially second-class citizens. They were some of the first kind of early warning signs of what would come five years later with the mass killing 
of Europe's Jews. And at the same time that they were persecuting the Jewish community, they brought the world to Berlin and tried to present the um, the image of a, a unified nation, uh, a nation of tolerance. And that's exactly what the, the Chinese are doing today. So it's a shame that, you know, over 80 years later, we really have not learned those lessons, which is why when we look at these Olympics, I can't help but say that, you know, the, the Olympics today are not about medals. It's really about what is our international commitment to this notion of never again. We weren't even able with the diplomatic boycott to, as Nuri said, get unity amongst like-minded states. The German government, for example, did not support a diplomatic uh, boycott. We did not see many of the uh, key kind of Muslim nations coming behind this as well, even though we're seeing the persecution of a, a Muslim population. And that's in large part because of the, the geopolitical strength of the Chinese government. They want the world to watch these Olympics and see the image of uh, China as a strong power. And unfortunately, um, so far, they're, they're succeeding in uh, espousing that. And, you know, in a, in a weird way, um, it unfortunately makes us all to a degree complicit when we're we're watching these games. And uh, I think we really as a society have to reckon with what does never again mean, not just at an international level, at a level for governments, but for each of us individually. Thank you. Uh, thank you both for those uh, insights and, and comments. Um, I, I want to stay with you, Naomi, for a minute here. Uh, obviously, given the uh, Chinese uh, Communist Party's egregious uh, violations of Uyghurs and other Turkic Muslims in Xinjiang, the U.S. government has indeed designated the atrocities there as genocide and crimes against humanity. What what are you concerned about regarding possible future crimes from your vantage point? And, and should China have been allowed to host the Olympics under these circumstances? Yeah, it's a great question, Dwight. I mean, when we uh, released our report, what we talked about was not just the crimes that are already occurring. And for the the listeners, I hope that you all burst in them. You know, my, my most kind of basic hope in terms of the outcome of these Olympics is that uh, we have more people learn about the plight of the weaker community and also about China's human rights violations more broadly, if we could even get the average American to pay attention for five minutes to learn about what the Chinese government is doing, I think that would go a long way to shifting our collective understanding of what needs to happen. Um, for us, we're very, very concerned because we believe that there has been no change in the Chinese government's behavior or treatment of the Uyghur community, despite increased international attention, despite the finding of genocide by the US government, despite the fact that there is now satellite imagery, significant testimonial um, accounts of the horrors that Uyghurs have had to endure. And you know, in Nazi Germany, many people simply could not believe the scale of the crimes that happened until tragically uh, the aftermath of the Holocaust when uh, to the world's horror, we we saw the dramatic images. Right now, we can't make that mistake again. We do know the scale of the crimes. We know this immense suffering that's occurring. We're very worried that the, the kind of risks around genocide will persist because we haven't seen a change in the Chinese government's behavior. We also know that perpetrators may very well change their their behavior. They may very well intensify their assaults when they think that they can get away with the crimes, when there is no clear accountability. You know, there are so many Uyghurs 
who have not had any contact with family members who have been in detention for, you know, one year, five years, even longer. We don't know what is happening to these people. We have anecdotal references. We have, I think, a substantial evidence um, of the scale, but we don't know if the Chinese government will make decisions in the future to uh, change the treatment of those that are being detained for the worst. We don't know if they will increase their efforts to reduce the reproductive capacity of the weaker community. Will even more weaker women be forcibly sterilized, have IUDs implanted within them? We have to really, when we're thinking about the commission of genocide and crimes against humanity, go into the conversation with a recognition that tragically, the situation can always get worse. And I'm not sure that we're really primed as an international community right now to, to think of it that way. In regards to the IOC and the decision, you know, I'm very sympathetic to the, the athletes who've dedicated their lives to um, a certain level of, of excellence when it comes to sport. They should not be competing or have to compete in a country where these crimes are occurring. There should have been, as Nuri said, a decision to relocate the games. And I think there needs to be a very serious collective um, interrogation and assessment of the credibility of the IOC and its selection process at a, at a at an absolute core. Countries where we believe that crimes against humanity, genocide, and other crimes may occurring simply cannot be allowed to host a games that is supposed to be a moment where there should be world peace and people coming together to show solidarity, respect for, for all people kind and uh, sportsmanship. This goes exactly against the values. And I am appalled every single time I hear a UN official, an IOC official, any foreign government official say, this is about sports. This is not about politics. I'm sorry, the Commission of Genocide and Crimes Against Humanity is not a political question. This is a, a fact, it's a reality, and it's one that they are trying to look the other way from. And we just can't allow that to happen again in the future. If I may um, add one uh, quick point to Naomi's excellent uh, point. The international community is failing to fulfill its re uh, responsibility. Not speaking out, uh, or not taking a preventive measures uh, uh, to avoid another genocide uh, is something that we've been seeing repeatedly. Uh, there are more than 150 state parties to the genocide convention. On the Uyghur genocide, there are only eight countries, uh, more recently uh, French uh, parliament uh, uh, joined that list of countries recognized. So why are the rest of the uh, governments or countries that are state party to the genocide convention? If this kind of responsibility, avoidance of responsibility continues, uh, not only we may see another genocide, but also worse yet, uh, it will make the genocide convention dead letter. Uh, if we're serious about preventing another genocide, the states need to step up to the plate to stop this and punish and, uh, um, uh, and and hold those to account so that we can prevent this is this is this this will be fulfillment of their treaty obligation in the case of the United States it's in line with its statutory obligation so this is not only moral obligation 
And Dwight and Nuri, I mean, I think it's really important to underscore as well that we know that the Chinese government is exporting its surveillance technology that is being used to commit these crimes to other governments. The permissive environment that this creates for other governments to repress and also potentially commit these same crimes is very real. And I don't think that we are, are truly looking at this with the clarity that is needed in terms of understanding how incredibly detrimental this is to undermining, as Nuri said, the international legal norms that we have uh, worked for decades to uphold nor are we doing the, the steps that are, are needed to protect both the Uyghur community and other communities that might be at risk because of the fact that China has not been held accountable. So this is going to continue to have knock-on effects for other populations around the world, and we're taking too short-sighted a, a view on this. So thank you very much for reminders there from both of you. I, I want to uh, pivot there from the mention of the IOC, the International Olympics uh, Committee there. Um, Obviously, they've been noticeably muted on this issue, as, as you both alluded to. Several U.S. companies like Coca-Cola, Airbnb, Visa, and Procter & Gamble uh, that are major sponsors of the games have refused to acknowledge uh, the atrocities in Xinjiang. Um, and I know Nuri has been out there just a year ago writing in the New York Times in the op-ed about this uh, aspect of, the, uh, of U.S. companies. But let's look in this context. What's the disconnect here all about? Why haven't uh, some of these Fortune 500 or Fortune 100 companies come to terms with the fact that atrocities are indeed being committed by the Chinese government? Their sponsorship of the games are being used to endorse uh, the government and its actions that in the end could harm their own company's reputation down the line. Uh, Nuri, could, could you uh, react to that? Yeah, it's, it's a corporate greed. Um, it's, uh, it's complicity. Um, uh, as you may recall, Dwight, uh, uh, when we come out and, and supported the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, uh, we as, as supporters of this bill, even you serve, um, uh, find out that the U.S. Chamber of Commerce uh, leading the effort to kill this bill. Uh, with the support of uh, its members, uh, the big name uh, global brands. So they don't have, uh, I don't think that they appreciate the level of, of uh, well, the seriousness of the problem that they are dealing with. They're facing reputational risk, uh, investment risk, uh, and now the legal risk. There's an existing laws and as well as, well as the new law that was enacted in December. The global brands, uh, the, the ones that you named, Visa, Coca-Cola, Airbnb, uh, Procter Gamble, uh, they've been telling, telling us, uh, the consumers, uh, all along that they have figured out a way to do business in China. They turn out to be, turn out not to be the case. They are kowtowing, they are caving into the Chinese pressure. Instead of exporting our own good corporate practices, corporate governance, uh, American companies are adopting, uh, adopting the, uh, the Chinese way of doing business. I'm glad that the international community focused on the business uh, community's complicity. And they should be reminded every day that during the Nuremberg trials, certain German industrialists student trial for their complicity. I could not imagine that the China will be able to hold this uh, Olympic without the support of those corporate brands. Um, Congress um, hold a hearing, uh, even asking them as simple questions such as, you know, um, are they committing a genocide? As a corporate America, uh, Coca-Cola, for example, they're quick to criticize some of the issues that we confront as a society in America. 
are even unwilling to publicly acknowledge in a uh, congressional hearing that Chinese uh, government is committing atrocities against vulnerable religious and ethnic groups. That's where we are. That's how pathetic the situation is in our relationship with, with the corporate world. So um, I, I urge the uh, consumers to uh, take an action to put pressure on the business community so that they will uh, eventually uh, will, uh, will try to do the right thing. So I, you know, I use this opportunity to just to send this message to them. The, the history will be rewarding those who are taking a conscious principled position or doing the right thing. So it's in, it, it is up to the community, uh, business community either to do some ethical business activities or just to become a puppet of the uh, communist regime, regime in Beijing. Thank you. I mean, uh, another aspect here, uh, when you uh, look at um, the, the list of things that have been done in response by uh, the United States and other countries, uh, and this is directed at you, Naomi, um, when you look at, so there's been the diplomatic boycott, several countries join that, obviously, the designation of the atrocities as genocide in Xinjiang, the enactment, as Nuri was referring to, you know, U.S. laws to protect Uyghur human rights and ban forced labor, sanctions uh, that have been imposed uh, on key Chinese officials responsible for the abuse. So there has been a clear response. Naomi, what are your recommendations in terms of next steps uh, by the U.S. and international community? Because despite this fairly robust response, you know, there's still the genocide going on. How, how can what are some of the next steps in your estimation that could prevent further atrocities uh, and holding perpetrators to account? Yes. I mean, Dwight, that's a, the most critical question that we face. I mean, given the scale of the crimes and the unique challenges posed by having China being the perpetrator, you know, it's imperative that there's a coordinated global effort to confront these crimes. And the U.S. needs to be at the helm of that. Um, one of the things that we think is really important is that there has to be even more resources dedicated to collecting and analyzing information about the crimes happening and the future risk, and that that needs to be shared with other members of the Security Council. It needs to be shared with a uh, broader array of governments through the, the General Assembly and the Human Rights Council. Uh, one of the you know very disturbing developments in the recent weeks has been the um, the refusal by the, the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights to release a report uh, that her office has, has taken and developed on crimes being committed by Xinjiang. Um, we hope at a bare minimum that it's released after the Olympics, but the fact that they have delayed and delayed and delayed is truly troubling. So I think pressure from the US and other governments to get that released is key to help build that political will and mobilize action, the action that's needed is we do need to see, again, much more comprehensive um, efforts by not just the U.S., because the U.S. has been doing quite a lot, but by other governments to impose deterrent measures like additional sanctions or the import restrictions. Uh, you know, I think to the point that Nuri said, though, I really think we need to be bringing this conversation into the homes of, of people all around this country, all around the world, to ask them and ask each of us, are we okay being complicit with the commission of these crimes? The This is really, you know, and I've been thinking about this quite a bit, this is really the, the most proximate instance of possible genocide and crimes against humanity that I can think of that has touched the lives of each of us. And I say that because so much of 
what we consume comes from China, comes from corporations that have uh, close ties to the Chinese government. And in many instances, and this is truly horrific, and I say this as the, the grandchild of someone whose grandfather was a slave laborer during the, the Holocaust, uh, much of what we are consuming also has unfortunately been produced by forced labor, by Uyghurs that are being forced to work to produce cotton products and others. And I really think that if we want to have a lasting uh, impact, one where we actually begin to shift the behavior of the Chinese government, it is likely going to require each of us on an individual level to decide how we are going to lead our lives, what decisions we're going to make about what we consume, whether or not we're willing to be complicit in these crimes, just as we need to have the corporations ask those questions, just as we need to make sure that the U.S. and other governments have legislation that makes sure that there are import restrictions and we're being careful about dual use technology, then the notion that technology that can be used to allow you to go buy a, you know, a burger at a fast food joint by just having your retina scanned can also be used to track a Uyghur and to restrict their rights. We should be so careful about so many of these new technologies and advances that have uh, an impact on our lives yet can detrimentally um, impact others. There's just so many layers of this that we need to be, be thinking about. So, you know, I, you asked the most important question, Dwight, and I hope that people realize that when these Olympic Games end and the focus is not on China in the same way, the crimes will continue. And we need to see that long-term sustained engagement to help save Uyghur lives. Uh, this is not a, a challenge of a two-week period. This is a, a challenge for the future, and it, it's one that we have to really remain vigilant, engaged in. And I really do believe that this is our, our quote-unquote kind of never-again moment for this generation. Thank you very much uh, for laying all that out. You know, I want to uh, kind of close, give the last question here to Nuri, really, because I, I should note that, uh, you know, USERF's work and, and the work of others like the Holocaust Museum and other groups, human rights groups have, that have spoken out um, have not gone unnoticed. Uh, Nuri uh, was one of uh, four commissioners sanctioned by the Chinese government in December uh, for speaking out about the atrocities, uh, uh, you know, being committed in China, bringing now the total to seven uh, current and former commissioners, uh, USERF commissioners sanctioned by China just in less than a year. Uh, the sanctions include a travel ban to the country and the freezing of any assets inside the country. Uh, now, Nuri, why has the Chinese government sanctioned USERF so frequently this past year? For years, we've been speaking on this issue for decades, really. And then all of a sudden, this past year, we see these sanctions. Uh, what, what's your explanation for that in your view? And what has this meant to you personally? Thank you very much. Uh, uh, that, uh, <clears throat> uh, my uh, being sanctioned by the communist China, you know, um, uh, unlike the others, is not really a badge of honor on a personal level. I have a family there. Uh, it's a badge of honor also. Uh, you know, it goes both ways because of um, uh, the, uh, the attention that we're getting from uh, this regime in Beijing. Um, I think it's a recognition of our work. Uh, seven out of nine commissioners uh, getting sanctioned by Beijing can be seen in a positive way. And also something has not been discussed. Now we monitor um, countries that are in the pockets of Beijing. 
that includes Saudi Arabia, Iran, North Korea, Korea, Venezuela. So they may be also trying to send a message uh, to them to encourage them, embolden them. Uh, that's uh, sound a little bit uh, speculative, but on substance, since um, early last year, we've been uh, advocating a number of things uh, in the legislative and uh, executive branches of the United States government, as we would, as we do, uh, statutorily authorized. Um, so um, the Chinese, um, I think, apparently very, very irritated uh, that uh, USERF is not just uh, an entity that is calling for a release of a particular religious uh, prisoners of conscience or a demolition of places of worship. Now our work includes uh, something uh, very important to the Chinese, uh, which is the uh, supply chain issues, the forced labor practices, uh, their use of technology in religious persecution, human rights violations. We called world, uh, we hold hearings. Uh, we have been speaking up, uh, we have been writing. Uh, we also been making recommendations. So, so these are the things that are very, uh, very concerning to the Chinese. If you look at their statements, public statements, they are very irritated that the United States led uh, Western democracies uh, impose coordinated sanctions, uh, hurting their economic interest. If you listen to their uh, reaction uh, going after legislators in Europe, in Canada, in the United States, including us, the officials, U.S. officials, shows that they are, um, we are, uh, uh, our work has been impactful. Uh, the other uh, issue that I need to point out, because in politics, timing is very important. Uh, the, if you look at the time that we got sanctioned, also has a lot to do with the Olympics. This was announced right after the uh, diplomatic boycott decision announced by the White House. And then two, uh, there was additional four uh, Chinese officials were sanctioned uh, by the Biden administration. And this is not something uh, discussed widely, that should be the case, that Biden administration around the type of our sanctioning also added um, Chinese military medical academy uh, and its 11 affiliates affiliates to the entity list, uh, Commerce Department's entity list for developing, listen to this, developing weaponary control, uh, the brain control weaponary. So it has been already developed. The United States government just detected something that is disturbing. Reminiscence of the history, uh, reminds of what Nazis did to the Jewish people, but now it's a technology. So um, yeah, we've been calling them out on publicly. That is also a very um, uh, uh, unpleasant thing for the Chinese authorities. We've been expanding our uh, coverage of religious freedom issues, uh, bringing in uh, some of the non-traditional issues that is also goes against their global ambition. So um, yeah, I don't give it too much credit to what, what they're doing, but we are sanctioned for our uh, for work to defend human rights and religious freedom. And they're sanctioned for the violation of that very right that, uh, that people cares around the world. Well, thank you so much. Unfortunately, we'll have to leave it right here, but I, I really want to thank uh, both uh, Yusuf Vice Chair Nuri Turkel and Naomi Kakola of the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum's uh, Center for the Prevention of Genocide for joining us and sharing their deep expertise and insights uh, at this time where the Olympics are occurring 
uh, you know, uh, against a backdrop of a genocide that's still going on. You can find Yousef's reporting on China and our latest policy recommendations on our website. As always, thank you for tuning in today, and we'll see you next time on Yousef Spotlight. To learn more about Yousef and about global religious freedom concerns, visit yousef.gov. That's U-S-C-I-R-F dot gov. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at U-S-C-I-R-F. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week for another Usurf Spotlight.